here in Oklahoma, uh, some schools have already started, and other states I know that's true as well. I know our grandsons here and in Texas, they don't start until next Wednesday, the what's that, the 16th or something like that. Uh, but New York, on the other hand, where we're from and where one grandson is, they don't start until after Labor Day. <clears throat> now, I know that there's some other states that are the same way. I'm pretty sure Maryland, they don't start till after Labor Day. But now those kids get to laugh because back in May, it was the kids that had gotten off already that were laughing at these poor kids having to go until into May, into June in New York, uh, into the 20-something of June. Uh, I know growing up in western New York, we were right on the, the borderline of Pennsylvania, and there were several kids from Northeast that had family or friends, you know, where we were, and, you know, they'd come over, and they'd come over during school. You know, we're in a classroom, and they're outside the school, playing kickball and screaming and having a good time. Yeah, right. The thing is, it all works out to about the same amount of time that you're in school. A certain number of days or a certain number of hours in the school year. <clears throat> and so it really doesn't matter when you start, when you get done, it's all going to work out. One thing I do know and that is when the weather starts to get nice in the spring, it's kind of hard to teach anything. You know, a lot of teachers say, you know, once we take the spring break, you know, we may as well shut down because kids aren't learning anything. Now, I was fortunate, okay? I went to the same school from kindergarten through 12th grade, same building. Uh, there was about 56 in my class in 1967, and many that I had gone to school with for 13 years. <coughs> Excuse me. So I never knew what it was like to, to be the new kid. I never got held back or failed a grade. Uh, I didn't have to retake ninth grade history uh, because I just didn't bother to do it the first time around. And I ended up in the National Honor Society that year. But things have really changed in the 54 years since I was in school. Uh, girls, they had to wear a dress or a skirt. You wore no pants of no kind. Boys, they had to wear decent clothes. Uh, the, the farm boys, the country kids, uh, boys, they would wear jeans sometimes and they were Blue, 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 blue jeans. Uh, nothing like the stuff you see now. And nobody could ever wear shorts you know, at any time except for gym class. And even the teachers, uh, the women wore dresses, uh, the men wore a tie, uh, someone wore a suit coat most of the time. And the town kids, the town kids, they got to go home for lunch. Okay, I don't think that happens anymore. So in this length of time, are things better or are things worse? And I guess the answer is yes. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks that we learn from you 
24-7 if we want to. And your word is always there to, to teach us something new and open our eyes to something new. And so, Father, as we look at this message, Lord, help us to, to get what you want us to get from it. Uh, Lord, not my message, but yours. And so we just put it in your hands and Lord, let you put it in our ears, our minds and our hearts through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus name. Amen. Well, I want to start with a song or part of a song anyways, that I think is really, really amazing. Uh, Life Church, where we go, uh, the weekend that they had infant dedications, they use this song. And I got to admit, every time I hear it, it brings me to tears like a lot of other songs, as you may know. But it's by Elevation Worship, and Carrie Job is kind of featured in it. <clears throat> Excuse me. But this is how it goes. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. May his favor be upon you for a thousand generations, your family and your children and their children and their children. And this gets repeated four times. Okay, May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you, all around you and within you. He is with you. He is with you. In the morning and the evening and your coming and your going in your weeping and rejoicing, he is for you. He is for you. Well, I want to take hold of what this one verse says. It says, may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations, your family and your children and their children and their children. Okay, this was taken from Deuteronomy chapter 7. And listen to verses 7 through 9. This is from the NIV. It says, The Lord did not set his affection on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought, that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Well, the passage goes on to mention what will happen if you disobey God. Not a good idea. Then verse 11 says this, Therefore, take care to follow the commands decrees, and laws I give you today. Okay, what Moses is saying here is, hey, listen up, guys, okay, and obey, because it's really going to benefit you and your children and their children and their children for a thousand generations. But I want to zero in on, on the, the last part of verse 9 of Deuteronomy 7, where it says, and this is a New Living Translation, says he is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. A thousand generations. 
how long is that? Okay, I mean, it seems like it's got to be a pretty long time. It's between 37 and 40,000 years. Okay, because you figure they're figuring each generation is going to live 37 to 40 years before this next generation comes in. So for a thousand generations, okay, almost 40,000 years. I mean, you talk about being faithful. God, God is faithful. But we have to do our part. We have to keep his commandments. Have you looked at the Ten Commandments lately? We see people breaking them left and right every day. But what about me and you? How are we doing? Are we maybe possibly in danger of breaking those thousand generations of blessings from the Lord? I talked in the opening about how the schools have changed. And one of the big reasons schools have changed is that life in general has changed. Okay, I'm putting together a video about myself that I want to leave with my grandchildren. Okay, it's, I've got pictures to go into it, uh, you know, from when I was younger in school and where I lived and stuff, you know, about my growing up, you know, my family, uh, work, places I've lived, the things that I've done, and the changes that I've seen. Whoa, many, many changes in 72 years. Okay, I don't remember the first maybe four or so, but I remember a whole lot since then. So let's look at a few of the changes. And I'm not talking about physical things that have changed, which is quite obvious. But how about respect for authority? You know, when I was a kid, you may not like your teacher, but you respected your teacher. You may not like your parents, but you respected your parents. Okay, and respect for your neighbors, respect for the property of other people. You know, I mean, our priorities, they've gotten all messed up. Let me kind of put this in the context of church and how things have changed. Okay, now remember, I did not grow up in church, okay? But grandparents of mine or that generation would be able to say, we used to attend six-week tent revivals seven nights a week. And the parents of my generation would maybe say, we used to attend Sunday through Wednesday revivals at our church. And then my generation would maybe say, we used to attend church occasionally on Sunday mornings. And the children of my generation, we used to attend church on Mother's Day and Easter and Christmas. And the grandchildren of my generation, what's church? You know, I, I see those buildings and, and all, but you know what? I don't understand. Now, to some of you, that really sounds kind of ludicrous. Okay, because you're still doing what your grandparents were doing, going to revivals 
for six weeks or four weeks or whatever it might be, seven nights a week, and thinking nothing of it. That's just, that's what you did. Okay? But I praise God that my children, our children, and grandchildren are actively involved in churches and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, that is not always the case for my generation. You know, I know some of my classmates that growing up, church was a big, big part of their lives. Some of them hardly attend anymore. Can't really call themselves part of the, the Baptist church or the Catholic church or the whatever church. And some have just completely fallen away. Well, you know, it's up to you and I. We need to make the necessary changes in our lives. So where is all this leading? You know, like the title of the message. Here it is. It's our legacy. Well, I wanted to look up the dictionary definition of the word legacy. Okay, and this is what it says. First definition is a gift by will, especially of money or other personal property, a bequest. She left us a legacy of a million dollars. Now, it's not surprising that the number one definition is talking about money, okay? Because to most people, that's what they would be concerned about. But the second definition is something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past. Okay, now I don't have a million dollars to leave that kind of legacy for anybody. Okay, I don't have, you know, a six-figure legacy to leave probably by the time I get done spending it, if I can. But, you know, I do have, and you have, a legacy that each one of us is going to leave. Okay, now, I don't know if you ever saw the movie, The Ultimate Gift. Okay, it's about this really, really, really rich guy. I mean, we're talking billionaire rich guy that... He dies, and he's got, I don't know how many kids <clears throat> and their spouses, and then there's this one grandson, that he has just been a playboy, spending money left and right, doing what he wanted to do, you know, which is usually nothing of any importance. And so he's the one that ends up getting all this money left to him. But there's some strings tied to it. Okay, James Garner plays this man that died, the billionaire. And uh, he made a series of videos that he gave to this man that was kind of the, I don't know, the butler or the whatever, the head of the household. And then there was a secretary, a woman that they had worked for him in the family for years and years. And so one by one, this grandson gets shown these videos and there's different things that he has to do. 
in order to get these billions of dollars. And he wants nothing to do with it at first. And I think it's the first thing he has to do is he has to go to Texas and to a, a good friend of this man that died. And this man is a, is a rancher and he's got like thousands of acres of land. And he wants this grandson to put in a fence and he just drops him off with a pair of post hole diggers. I don't know if you know what those are, but it's like two shovels that are together. You put in the ground and you pull the handles apart, pull the dirt up out of the ground to make a hole and the posts and the wire and the, the staples. And so, you know, he starts making this fence and, you know, he's got the posts in not even half as far as they need to go. So they're all kind of leaning over and the fence is, you know, real loose and all and you know this rancher comes back and says you know that's not the way it goes and just leaves him and takes off and so finally he figures it out and he puts in you know miles acres anyways of fence and you know the next thing he has to do and the next thing you know and by the end of it he's really a pretty good guy and and so you know what the grandfather had him do was to just change who this young man was. Well, we all leave a legacy. What's yours? Okay, if I look at the legacy left by my parents, that would be you work hard really every day, not just five days a week at your job. You know, my, my parents, they each had a full-time job. And then uh, during the summer months, they had a, a small motel, they had an ice business. And so they were working all the time. And that was what it was about. And on the weekend especially, it's time to go drinking, okay? My brother, my brother did everything that you're not supposed to do, okay? Uh, ended up in jail a few times for it. My sister, she lived life one day at a time, which is what we're supposed to do, but she lived it for herself, to do what she wanted to do, what was best for her. Well, when I look at my wife's family, I see a totally different legacy. Her parents daily read the Bible, studied the Bible, you know, and together and on their own. They were teaching others about Jesus. They were serving the Lord. You know, and I watched those lives and the things that they did. And my children watched them because for many years, our kids lived just down the road a few hundred yards from my wife's parents. And so they saw that. They didn't see, they didn't know my parents. Okay, um, when my mom died, our oldest child was probably five and I think Chris may have a couple memories of my mother but not much and even Diane never knew my father and then Diane had his aunt Dorothy she was never married but she had many many children okay and she just taught to the end and children was her thing okay she would go out and drive all over the countryside to pick up one, maybe two kids to bring them to Sunday school or vacation Bible school. Okay, 
Diane's aunt and her father and her mother all died within seven months of each other. And so many, many people at the funeral home and after the funerals, came up to us and said, uh, I just remember when your mom taught this study. I remember when your dad, you know, helped to do this. I remember Aunt Dorothy coming to, to pick us up and take us to Sunday school. You know, I remember the effect that they had on my life. We don't know who's watching us, who's paying attention to our lives. And it's not just your children and your grandchildren and your friends and some of your other relatives. I mean, they're all watching you, but it's our coworkers. It's the student that's in school with us. It's a neighbor. It's the clerk at the store or the server at the restaurant. It's other drivers. You know, you have a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker on and you drive like a wild maniac. Other people can say, whoa, you know, I guess the Holy Spirit's really hanging on in there because we just don't know. I saw a thing on Facebook just the other day. It says, you never know who's following your lead. So make sure you're always following God's lead. Let me give you some words from a refrain to a song. The name of the song is Faithful. Steve Green is the one that I heard making it famous. But this is what it says. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 5, 14 to 16. This is the NIV. It says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We're called to be a light to the world. We're called to be a light in the darkness of our world. We are to set an example of Jesus before the world. When the world looks at us as believers in Jesus Christ, they need to see Jesus. Okay, when somebody looks at me, they don't need to see Don Shell. He's nobody. He's nothing. They need to see Jesus at work. That is the legacy that others need to see in us. That's the best that we can ask for. That's the best thing that I can leave. The best thing I can leave my children. I'm making this video just to kind of let my kids know who I was. You know, there, there's going to be things in there that Diane doesn't even know, I think. And certainly our kids don't know. 
but it's going to let them see who I am. But those that are old enough when I die to remember me, hopefully they're going to know who they are because of Jesus Christ that they saw in me. Now, Hebrews 11 is a great place to look for encouragement in this. In the chapter, chapter 11 is talking about faith, but it really talks about the great things that believers did. Moses, Enoch, Jacob, um, Rahab, Gideon, you know, the list just goes on and on. And they've left us a great legacy. You know, we can look to them and say, you know, these are just common people. You know, they weren't born to be priests or anything. You know, some of them were probably not even really very educated, but they certainly left us a great legacy. And as you look through the, the New Testament at the disciples, the legacies that they have left us. You know, Paul, Saul, was bent on wiping out Christianity, and then he became a hero for Christ. What a legacy. Everything that he went through, the times that he was so close to death, but he didn't let that stop him. If you could write your own eulogy, what would it sound like? I haven't written mine, but I've written things that I want said at my service, not things about what a good or bad person that I was, but hopefully building on anything good that I ever did for anyone else. I want you to sit down and, and to think about that. You know, I mean, what would others get up and say about you at your funeral, your memorial service? What are the stories that define you? Trust me, I've heard some pretty spectacular things at funeral services. Sometimes some of the stories the deceased would rather have not told, okay? Even though they maybe were true, if the deceased were there, they'd say, ah, let's not go there, okay? And I know I have some of those myself, and you probably do too. But no matter where our lives have taken us, it's all made us who we are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. One really, really important thing to remember, it is not too late to change your legacy. Who you were, who people think or say you were, does not define you for eternity. I saw this on Facebook again just the other day. It was like it was written on a chalkboard. It says, somebody is learning how to be a person by watching you. Let that sink in. And it had the teacher's name at the bottom. I did a funeral a few years ago for a man that hadn't been a very good person for most of his life. But about 10 years before he died, his legacy changed. And it was changed by the Lord. And that man's life changed my life. It's not too late to change your legacy, to be able to have people remember you completely different than what they may remember you 
today. Let's pray. Father, I lift up my brothers and sisters that know you, those that love you and are, are serving you in maybe many, many different ways. And Father, I just put them in, their, in your hands and Lord, help them to know that they can continue to strive towards who you need them to be and that the legacy that they leave will inspire people to believe because they'll look at the, the lives of people and they'll say, you know, that person taught me the Ten Commandments. You know, that person taught me about the books of the Bible. That person taught me how to serve. That person, you know, was always there for me. That's the legacy that we want to leave. We want the legacy to be a legacy of Jesus Christ. Lord, I lift up anybody that may be listening that, that doesn't know you and their legacy maybe wouldn't be too, too pretty right now. But Lord, once they make a commitment to you, their legacy can change totally and their life will change totally. And they'll go from serving themselves to serving you and serving others. And it's not too late to do that. Lord, it doesn't matter if you're 16 or you're 96, that it's not too late to change who you are right now, that people will remember you differently than what they maybe did before. But they need to make that commitment. And there's only one way to do it. And it's to pray a prayer of something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I've been a sinner and I know I need a Savior. And I know the only Savior is your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for my sins. But he rose from the dead, and he's coming back. Lord, help me to believe that and to accept that and to know that when he comes, that I'll be ready. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.